I'm Amber Tresca, and this is About IBD. It's my mission to educate people living with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis about their disease and to bring awareness to the patient journey. Welcome to episode 90. I'm excited to welcome back Roseanne Matola, who you last heard on episode 87. On that episode, she told her story of living with mild to moderate ulcerative colitis, which unfortunately led to some harrowing complications, and about her experience in receiving the first dose of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine. On this episode, she's going to tell you what it was like for her to receive her second dose, which was three weeks after the first. She relates her experience on what the effects were, how long they lasted, and she gives advice for those of us who haven't started the vaccination process yet. We also get into a topic that is a first for About IBD. Roseanne tells me what it was like for her to create episode 87 with me and the effect it had on her and her family. She will tell you why one piece of her story became an important part of the retelling, why it made her blood boil, and the lesson it holds for all of us. Roseanne, thank you so much for coming back and telling me about what happened with your second dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. You got your first dose. Remind me what the date was on your first dose. I got my first dose on January 4th, Monday, January 4th, right after the new year, and um, got my second dose on Monday, January 25th. Okay, great. And they set up your appointment for your second dose when you got your first one, right? Right. So um, how it worked at where I got my vaccine, when I went for my first dose, they did an intake and they asked me my medical history. And at that point, they made my appointment right there before I even got my shot for my second dose. So there was no stress involved on my end. Uh, I had another appointment at 21 days after my first dose. I got the Pfizer vaccine. So that was the recommended timetable. And um, I had my confirmation in my hand before I even got the needle in my arm. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, because for me, not even being anywhere near to being vaccinated, that is already giving me a little bit of of anxiety thinking about the idea that the second dose. And we know a little bit more now about that they could, you'd probably be okay spacing them out a little longer, but we should be getting that second appointment set up before we leave the first one. Or as you said, before you even get the first shot, you're already scheduling that second dose. Right. And I know that in terms of um, shortages and things of that nature, any um, vaccination appointments that have been postponed or canceled at this point were first vaccines, and they have rescheduled those first before moving on. But they have enough second vaccine at this point on hand so to make sure that you can get that second dose in a timely manner. Right. Yeah, that makes more sense. Mm-hmm. So tell me, we talked after your first dose and you did really well mm-hmm. afterward. Did that did that continue? Yeah. So after my second dose, um, I definitely felt it a little bit more. Nothing serious, but I had some sight pain for the first day. And then on the, the second day, I had some some relatively mild body aches. Took a little bit of Tylenol and put a heating pad on while I sat on the couch. And that went away in 18 hours or so. 
and I had a little bit of a lingering headache for one to two days. Nothing mm-hmm. that I would say was serious. Glad I had a little bit of a response because in my head I say it's maybe I had some kind of an immune response and it's actually working for me and my body is doing what it's supposed to be doing. I never had any kind of fever. I've heard anecdotally of some folks that had some fever after the second shot, but all in all, if it protects me, this was a very mild uh, price to pay. (laughs) Yeah. And I've heard, you know, again, anecdotally and Hopefully there will be some data, some studies that come out soon about, you know, how people feel after the second, but it does seem to be all over the map. There are people that say they felt almost nothing. And then there are people that are basically like, yeah, I kind of spent a day, you know, in bed, maybe even. Right. I, I worked remotely that day. I don't do anything strenuous for my job. So I can, t- I would say if, if you are, you know, doing some kind of a strenuous job that you maybe want to take a day or so. I was able to do my job in public relations for my computer without any issues. And I personally was okay after the second dose. So let me ask you this, because I listened to a different podcast in in between the last time we talked and this time, where it was talking about that the husband got vaccinated because he's a physician And the wife was not vaccinated because she's just like a regular healthy person. And they were trying to like work that out. Is that the situation in your family too? Yeah. So, uh, you know, the way we look at it is that whenever we can get vaccinated, it's better for both of us. So, you know, my being protected will protect my husband and my kids uh, to a certain extent, because I'm one less person that can, you know, potentially get very sick and pass it along to them. Um, I know that we don't know for sure whether or not if you're vaccinated, you can transmit COVID to others, but they assume that the viral load would be a lot lower and the risk of transmission would be lower. Hopefully, there'll be some studies done soon on the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines to confirm that, but that is what they believe anyway. Um, So, you know, being able to get vaccinated, I keep telling my family, the more of us that, that get done, the better it is for our pod and everybody that we come in contact with, even for a short amount of time. Right, because... Didn't also some of your elderly family members get vaccinated as well? Yeah. So um, I have a two 90-something-year-old grandmothers who um, finally were able to get their doses, and it has been a huge relief. Both of them go for their second doses this week. So um, just knowing that they have an extra layer of protection makes us all feel better. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, I'm seeing folks who are saying that we still need to do all of the things that we've been doing all along, uh, even after vaccination, which I think is right. But I have to say, I'm seeing some people who are fully vaccinated, maybe <laughs> kind of doing some stuff that they weren't doing before. Right. Um, so do you have any thoughts about that? So I think, you know, for the interim, um, for the next few months, we're going to keep doing what we're doing at the very least. You know, maybe I will be the one that goes to the supermarket more <laughs> or 
or runs into a store for us. Um, but with my kids and them going to school, I still want to be as safe as possible. I'm going to keep wearing my mask outside my home. I'm going to keep on my hand hygiene and um, we're really not going to be gathering as a group with anyone until this all calms down at the very least, or if the rates go down substantially, then we might open it up a little bit more. But until, until this country is, is better under control, I think that we're going to just stay the course in terms of, of what we're doing. Yeah. I think that makes sense. I was saying to my husband that I almost feel like it's uh, like a, a county by county situation and that in the summer, if we decide we want to go somewhere, we might need to look at that county and see what their current testing rates are at and then make our decisions based on that. Right. And it's, it's hard to say what's, what's the right approach and the wrong approach, but you know, in New York, we had an awful, awful spring last year, but then by the summer, our rates were super low super low, less than a percent, 1% in some areas. So we did do a little bit of outdoor activities. Um, I signed my son up for, for baseball and we rented a house by the beach. Um, we weren't with anyone. We just went back and forth to the beach, but we opened it up a little bit for those days, but then the rates went back up around, uh, the fall and, schools reopening and the holidays. So then we locked it back down again. <laughs> again, it's hard to say whether or not what we did was right or wrong, but for our mental health, we thought it was important. Yeah. And every family has to do what they think is right. My experience was very similar to yours. In Connecticut, we were at less than 1%. So we did outside things. We still weren't doing inside things. And then when the kids went back to school, for me, that was the risk and that was the, the risk that we felt was worth taking. So then after that, that was nothing. That, that's all the risk that we are introducing into our, into our family unit here. And I personally felt when my son went back to school that it was important for us to lock it down a little more for others um, mm -hmm. because he was going to be in a classroom every day with other students and a teacher so we figure with him being exposed potentially that it was better for everyone around us that we locked it down a little bit more. Right. You listened to your episode. I have to tell you, that makes me laugh a little bit too, because I've had some people tell me that they have never listened to their episode. <laughs> <laughs> which I don't blame them. Listening to yourself is not easy. It's not. <laughs> and I have now had hundreds of hours of listening to myself. So it's a different situation for me. I'm kind of over it. Um, but you were thinking a lot more about your story and about going to school and the reason why you were in school full time and that leading to I mean, I don't know if it's fair to say, you can tell me whether it is or not, that leading to basically a worsening of your ulcerative colitis. So let's backtrack a little bit and you can tell me, sure. why was it that you were in school and why did you make the choices that you did at the time? 
So my diagnosis happened right before I graduated college, and that was a long time coming. We spoke about that. It was close to probably four years before I was officially diagnosed. And at that time, I was extremely sick. Um, So that's when I made the decision to go to school rather than try to take on a full-time job. And after listening to the episode, which was very difficult, by the way, <laughs> because I hear my accent come out and I am very self-conscious of it. But after listening to the episode, I realized that my decision to take on a full-time course load probably had a lot more to do with my insurance, situa- insurance situation um, than I thought. And, and I'm going to preface this by saying that I am very type A and there's a good chance that I would have tried to have taken on a full course load regardless, but my decision was definitely guided by the fact that I had to stay on my parents' insurance and remain a full-time student to do so, uh, if I was not working. So that was something that I had a hard time with after listening to the episode because I thought that perhaps my body would not have broken down like it did if I wasn't forcing myself to commute to school four times a week for classes in the middle of the night. And I would not have potentially picked up pneumonia and I would not have potentially gotten a staph infection from the hospital after my pneumonia. And I wouldn't have potentially gotten my C. diff from the antibiotics I was put on from the pneumonia. It's infuriating. It, it, it sort of makes my blood boil to think about it, that because I was so ill that I couldn't work And I was forced to take a full-time course load to stay on insurance so that my family didn't go bankrupt. It, it, it just is a story that should have never happened in this country and should not happen to anyone. Um, I'm glad that the ACA has provided some of those protections so that people don't have to make that excruciating decision like I did. Mm Mm-hmm. Something that has happened to me, and I'm wondering if this is what you're experiencing right now. I'm very aware that when I ask people to come on my show and tell their story, that they are reliving some of the worst things that have happened to them and that they're putting that in my hands. And that is a great responsibility. And I take it very seriously. In my own writing and in telling my own story, sometimes when you're in the middle of all of the difficult parts, you're putting one foot in front of the other and not really being too introspective about it. But writing about it, talking about it, almost opens it up again and makes you think about things in a different way. That's been my experience. And I'm wondering, is is that what happened to you after you told your story in that way and then you listened to yourself tell it? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that listening to myself tell the story sort of opened up a whole lot of memories that I've probably repressed for a while. And not only that, but, you know, my family listened to the podcast as well. And my mom um, actually commented that, you know, she forgot about a lot of what we went through and listening to it, you know, just 
makes us realize how far we've come in this journey and and how dire it was at the time but how much my life has changed since since then and you know that i have two healthy children and a career right now is something that we we would not have anticipated 10 years ago do you think the benefit is overall positive i imagine it was hard for your mom too oh no i think it definitely was and i think that it's important to look back so you know, even just this revelation I had about the insurance situation and everything that went on in my life because of it, it's a lesson to learn from. It's a reminder that we can't go backwards. We have to go forward and we have to keep fighting for others that are just being diagnosed or really, really fighting the good fight right now. Roseanne, do you have any advice for anyone who is expecting to get vaccinated in the next several weeks? I would just say um, to keep at it. I know that it's frustrating right now with the scheduling of vaccine appointments and everybody has sort of their own system in place. And I am encouraged, though, that things are opening up a little bit more. I know in New York just on Friday, the governor announced that um, immune-compromised folks will be able to start getting vaccinated on the 15th of, fe- of February. February 15th, they'll be able to start um, vaccinating immune-compromised folks, um, anybody on immune-compromising medications. So I know that includes a lot of IBD patients in New York City, um, in New York State, and hopefully... Uh, little by little, we can protect ourselves and uh, hopefully get beyond the worst of this pandemic. I agree. Thank you so much for coming on the first time and telling your story. Thank you again for coming back and telling me what it was like to get that second dose. I am so glad that you are fully vaccinated at this point. It's fantastic. Thanks. And thank you for exploring a little bit what it felt like to hear your own story and to think about it in a new way. Thank you so much for having me. It's really been a great honor. Hey, super listener. Thanks this week to Roseanne Matola for sharing her experiences in receiving the second dose of the COVID-19 Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. We know that the COVID-19 vaccines cause an immune response, which is what we want. But we also know that this response can lead to discomfort, headache, chills, fatigue, and in some cases, even fever. For that reason, some folks will want to reach for an over-the-counter pain reliever or fever reducer. For IBD patients, it's worth talking to a gastroenterologist to find out what they will recommend for pain relief. However, as Roseanne said, A day on the couch with a heating pad is a small price to pay for protecting oneself, our loved ones, and for getting the pandemic under control. I will put links to more information in the show notes and on my episode 90 page on aboutibd.com. Thanks for listening. And remember, until next time, I want you to know more about IBD. About IBD is a production of Malintel Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by me, Amber Tresca. 
Mix and sound design is by Matt Cooney. Theme music is from Cooney Studio. One of our beaches here, they actually had they have quicksand. Really? Look, I have a degree in environmental science. <laughs> we did not. We never studied quicksand. You think quicksand is a myth? Apparently, it is not. <laughs> in in the winter, in in, uh, in, in Connecticut. <laughs>